Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Good morning, church family. It is so wonderful to see all of you. I love our young adults. They are incredible. The leaders that you saw up here today, they are part of our leadership team. They do so much at our church. And there are so many other young adults that are providing meaningful ministry around this campus and part of this church. They exist down at the campus on the far end. They exist over here on this end, there in our school. I mean, they're all over doing incredible things for the kingdom. But the sad reality, though, is something that hit me. While there are some young adults doing some things, there are also many that aren't doing anything. Back in 2018, in March, when I was flipping through kind of that dinosaur of a social media app now, Facebook, some of you are like, hey, bro, that's my thing. You're probably not a young adult then. I was scrolling through it and I was looking on there and something hit my, my mind as I saw this question from someone. It wasn't a big question, but it was a profound one. And it simply said, in your opinion, what's the forecast for the Seventh-day Adventist church and its relationship with younger generations given our current trajectory of decline? There were a lot of answers, a lot of comments, a lot of thoughts. But there was one that just, just got me. This is what it said. It's too late for us millennials. When it was crucial to focus on millennials, the Adventist church was non-existent. And now that they acknowledge we need to reach out, a new generation's already arrived. The church has already failed us. They need to focus on Gen Z and hope they can do a better job with them. The comment was bleak but honest. The comment was difficult to read. Its tone was based on the lived experience of a young adult who still had hope for the future, but realized his, he wasn't sure there was any hope for. Was the young adult wrong in their sentiment? Is the church wrong in what it's been thinking, how it's been acting? I don't know who's wrong, but I do know That it's time we take seriously this demographic that has been long neglected in our modern time in Adventism. Young adults. Young people are an interesting thing. You see, I was young at one point, younger. Some of you are like, you're pretty young still. And then I go into these events that we do. I'm like, how old are you? (sighs) My wife and I got married when we were 20 and 22. Some people might say that was pretty young. At the time, nah, we were in love, we were excited, it was great, we were were ready for what was to come. And the reality of marriage was not so easy. And so now when people say in their mid-twenties, oh, we're thinking of getting married, you're going to get married? Do you know what you're doing? Have you seen what they look like in the morning when they get up? Do you know if they snore? Do you understand how they smell? Do you get how they are? Are they lazy? Do they understand about Jesus? You're too young. And all of a sudden I forget that I got married so young. I forgot that I was young at that point too. I start wagging the finger. 
the wagging finger like the dog that goes by. Ah, you're too young. But the Apostle Paul had a different sentiment upon which he based his understanding about who young adults are and the belief that he had in them. You see, before leaving the city of Ephesus, this multicultural, economically successful, and religiously plural society that was there in the Greco-Roman world, he gave a big job to someone, Timothy. He told Timothy, I've got some work for you to do, buddy. And as I leave, I'm putting you in charge of Ephesus, the whole city. You are to build up the church that I started there. You, Timothy. He believed in him. Look at these words that are penned there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and beginning in verse 12. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, devote yourselves to the reading of Scripture, to preaching, teaching. And do not neglect the gift that has been breathed on you, which was blessed through prophecy of the elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and those around you. Whew. It's a heavy text. A heavy text, but it was a text that said, I believe in you. You're young, but I know you can do it. You're young, but I know that there is a God who can equip you. You're young, but I know the calling that God placed on you. You know, I love this church. Because I believe that the Loma Linda University Church has that same vision about young people. I don't know how many of you know the origins of our church, but in the 1960s, a community of adults said, you know what, we want to support our young people, our young professors, our young students, our young people who want to go global with the gospel. We want to equip them, challenge them, and build them up for the kingdom. And we've been doing that ever since. Thank you, congregation, for believing in us, for believing in this generation, for believing that young people still do matter and they can do something significant. I thank you because that is the origin of our denomination itself. Do you understand how our denomination started? Listen to these thoughts of one professor as he writes this about how Adventism began. The Seventh-day Adventist church began like a Silicon Valley startup. Led by young people with vision and passion for a cause who made a significant impact on developing the Seventh-day Adventist church into what it is today while they were teenagers and young adults. They were young, and I mean young, younger than some of you would like them to have been. They pioneered doctrine and faith and how we did our polity of our church. They had that control. It's interesting. Our denomination pioneered a lot for young people early on. 
I mean a lot. We were cutting edge. Sometimes you think we're far behind. No, we were cutting edge. In the turn of the century there, as the world wars were looming upon us, our denomination believed that we needed to do something to support young people in this vision of still having them kind of follow along this kind of, hey, be a conscientious objector. This is, this is part of your early calling as an Adventist. And so to do something, they created medical cadets, providing basic ambulatory training and, and first aid and how they could help be on the front lines, not carrying a gun, but rather as a medical worker. Some short time after that, the church said, hey, we can't leave our youth to kind of be in the wayside, our middle schoolers and early elementary kids to just kind of fall into just any activity after school. We want to provide something intentionally to disciple them. We believe in them. And so the great work of the Pathfinders began. Some of you maybe know the Pathfinder Law and the Pathfinder Pledge. And you stand before God and you could recite it even to this day. And the truth is that Pathfinder ministry has been one of the most successful ministries to youth in our church that we have ever had. Globally and internationally, it is still one of the main means of doing ministry with young people. And it's doing well. The problem is, it isn't doing well when we continue to use past methods in our new society. Do you understand what young adults are facing today? Do you understand who they are? I want to just educate you for just for one moment. Some of you maybe already know, but bear with me for a moment. There's a lot of expectations that we have on young adults. A lot. And we expect that they will follow the path that we did. Some of you here are young adults and you're like, oh boy, I don't know what he's going to talk about now. Look on the screen with me as one of my professors outlined this in one of his books, Young Adult Ministry Now by Stephen Argue. Phenomenal book. If you don't have it, look it up if you're a leader and you want to know more about young adult ministry. Take a look at this chart that he had up here on the expected path of young adults. They go from high school and they end up in college. They get married and then have kids. In 1950, you get a manufacturing job as soon as you finish high school. You didn't even have to go to college. Economically equivalent, you were making between seventy dollars and $100,000 today. You could support a wife, kids, car, educations. You could do so much. You didn't have to worry. Your wife didn't even have to work. That was 1950s, buddy. Today, though, let's look at the chart. This is the real path of young adults today. They go from high school maybe to living together with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They might want to do a gap year, travel abroad. Let me try college out and I'll try five to seven majors while I'm there. I don't want to really do that nine to five thing. Instead, I'm going to find nine to five to nine jobs that I'm going to transition from one to another every few months. Then maybe I'm going to find a roommate to spend the rest of my life with. Ah, maybe not. I'll move in back with mom and dad. It was cheaper there. They did my laundry, cleaned my food, you know, made my food. It was a good life, right, Doug? You know how it is. And so that's the journey that young adults are on today. It is no longer a linear path, one to another to another. It is a meandering road. And so what do we do as a congregation with this new journey, this elongated path? We cannot treat our young adults as if they were adolescents. We have to learn how to engage with them. They're asking important questions. 
They are on a quest to figure out, who am I? They're asking questions about identity. They're saying, where do I fit in? Questions about belonging. They're wondering, what is my kind of life's calling? What, what, what am I here for? They're asking questions about purpose. And a church that doesn't understand these core questions that young adults are asking today and tries to do ministry, well, you need to do ministry like this because this is what we believe is right and true and good. And then you wonder. No, you actually probably don't need to wonder. Why is it that now in our Adventist denomination, our researchers are indicating that 60 to 70% of our high schoolers no longer remain in the church? Roger Dudley, in one of the most meaningful 10-year studies in our Adventist church, an Adventist uh, researcher that did ministry for young people for 50 years. In his study on that 10-year period, he looked at youth, 15 to 16-year-olds, and he asked them a simple question. Will you remain in the Adventist church and believe in its teachings and doctrine? Yes, we will at a resounding number in the, in the high 80s. Can you believe that? Asking our academy students, and they said yes, we're going to stay here. We're going to believe this. He couldn't even get to his 10-year mark that he wanted to because he couldn't even find them after a couple of years. They were no longer part of their church communities. They had become inactive. And Roger Dudley then realized something needs to change. And our Adventist leaders and pastors are asking the same questions. What are we going to do about this? I had the last three to four years to study a phenomenal topic. A book called Growing Young came out that was out of the Fuller Theological Seminary that studied churches that were thriving with youth and young adults. These were churches that young people loved to be in. They possessed these six qualities of warmth and leadership that they give to young people. They had key fundamental ideas that Jesus is the center of their church. They practiced outreach in the community that made sense to their young people. They empowered them everywhere throughout the entire congregation. Our Adventist leaders saw this and said, wow, there is something to this. And so we started advocating for this as a model for church revitalization. And in that process, with these six commitments, the Fuller Youth Institute designed an assessment that a church could do that would see, hey, how are we doing with young people? How are we doing with these commitments? 47,000 assessments were completed by all denominational church members across the United States. 15% of those were Adventist. So big of a number. And that was because we looked at this and we said, man, there's something to this. It's positive research. This is research that's saying there's something hopeful that we could do. And so I had the privilege of studying these 6,500 assessments of Adventists. And I want to share with you one of the most significant findings, I think, that I discovered. You see, when we ask ourselves, well, how are we doing when, with young people? How are we doing? Pastor, you're being a little bit of a negative Nancy this morning. Sorry if your name is Nancy. <laughs> you're taking it too far. And so... I want to share with you this finding. You see, those who were 50 and above in the study, 
they actually were looking at our church and they said, you know what, we're doing well with young people. Our ministry to them, actually, we can be proud of that. We think that what we're doing for our youth and young adults is fine. And then I looked at young adults. That 10-year gap. That 18 to 29-year-old range. You know what they said? They said we're below average. They said it's poor. They said our efforts towards them are ineffective and aren't meeting their needs. They said we're not doing well. And so now you're left with the question, who do I believe? Do I believe those who are above 50? Our older congregants who hold leadership positions in our church, who hold the money purses, who hold the influence here, who have been in our church for decades? Do we listen to them? Or do we listen to our young people who are actually the recipients of our efforts? Do we let our young adults now be the barometer of success in how we're doing with them? Do we allow ourselves to say, Huh, I might need to pay attention a little bit more to what you're saying. Tell me more. What, what is it that we're doing that isn't working? You heard the liturgy. You heard the sentiments of thousands of young adults kind of comprised in this, in this beautiful kind of way of exploring this. And so what do we do then as a congregation? What is our next step then? What are we called to do? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is we have to start innovating again. What are we going to do at this turn of our century, the 21st century, here as we're approaching another millennia? Are we going to use the same methods of the past with this group? What we've been doing hasn't been working. And so then now you're challenged with this understanding. Wait a second. You want to change things? You want to change how things have been done? How things have been communicated? Brother, you're on shaky ground. What we've been doing is fine. Not fine enough. Because our young people are telling us with where their feet are going. What we've been doing hasn't been working for all of them. Paul says that I want to do all things for all people that I might reach some. And so there are some things that we're doing that are reaching young people. And they're here. Some of you are young adults. You are part of the Barna study. They call you the resilient disciples. The ones in spite of the faults and failures of the church, you're saying I'm sticking here. I'm going to remain here. I'm going to be part of this. And praise God that you're here. But the other friends of ours, your very own children, who you weep for, who you think about that aren't next to you right now. Some of us wonder, where are they? And I'm tired of hearing parents come to me and saying they're lost. They might be going to hell, Pastor. I don't know. I'm worried. Hell. Hell. Just because they're not in the four walls of a church means now you believe they're lost? Do you realize the only thing they've done, they've disengaged from a place they found irrelevant to their life? Because the ministry done to them didn't make sense anymore. They are not lost. Far from it. One of my other professors, he wrote that they are simply faithing. They're defining faith in their own terms and in their own way. 
They're differentiating from mom and dad, from what they believed in Sabbath school. They're trying to find a life of faith that means something to them. And it will be challenging. It is challenging. Wait, you believe what? Wait a minute, tell me a little bit more. Are you serious? Kid, do you know what we taught you? Do you understand the significance of the 28 foot? But you're going to go where? It's a very difficult season as the young adult and its parent navigates this transition of saying, listen, I know you're my mom and dad, but I also need to find life and faith on my own terms now. It's a difficult sentiment to be part of. But it's an important one that we acknowledge and we embrace with them. And we say, I'm going to be next to you along the way. I'm not going to give up on you. Just because you're not coming with me, honey, to church anymore doesn't mean I know you don't love God and love Jesus and, and church. And you're trying to figure things out. And I want to tell you, friends, this morning I heard from young adults who came up to me after the first and second service there at Anthem and here. Pastor, I haven't been to church in seven years and I just came back, man. I haven't been to church in three years. I haven't been to church in a long time. It's so great that you're talking about this topic, something that we've been thinking about for so long. They have disengaged and they can re-engage just as quickly. Just as quickly as a church who's actually ministering to the needs of young people. And I know that's a very difficult sentiment to say, hey, listen, Pastor, uh, you want to prioritize young people at the expense of all generations? You know what they found in the Growing Young study? That when churches prioritize young people at the expense of prioritizing every generation, those churches flourished. And so did every generation. Why? How could it be? That caring for the least of these, the most vulnerable, those who are at the fringes of making life's greatest decisions need our greatest prioritization. Because when they flourish, we flourish. Wait a second, Pastor, but, but how could that be? I think the problem is that we've used old metaphors for far too long. Because our young people are not simply, as Ellen White penned, I love this phrase that she uses, our young people are soldiers in the army. A phrase that was used within a context in the turn of the century, there where world wars were taking place on our soil, she wrote it then. And she wrote that and it had meaning and it's a theological meaning and I believe it too. But she also said some other things about young adults and young people that we seem to never seem to want to talk about. She said they are part of the family of God. They are the ones that we must yearn to care for. Why don't we trumpet this from our conferences and events and pulpits? Instead, for the last century, we've used one phrase, one metaphor that has had practical implications to how we treat young people. Do you realize that metaphors shape ministry methods? If they are simply soldiers in an army, that means they must obey. That means you must do ministry as we've told you, young man. Lady, you have to look like we like, and you have to talk like we like. You must eat like we like. 
you must do what we say. Oh, the future of the church? No, we can't put it in your hands because you are a soldier in our army. And when you fall out, you're done. We replace you. Next. Next, young man, come up, come up, come up. We need another one to take the place of that one. He was a weakling, couldn't make it. I know he was trying, but boy, didn't know what his mom and daddy were doing. They didn't raise a good one. Now, you're going to be listening to what I'm going to be telling you, okay? I made fun, but I also, in all seriousness, believe our metaphors are shaping how we believe about them how we treat them, and how we do ministry with them. We've got to realize this generation is looking for a place to call home. They're looking for a family that will love them, that will accept them, that will still cherish them. And when we prioritize young people, we are prioritizing our family. They are your and my spiritual blood. Instead, our young people, they feel a sense of abandonment. Right when they need us the most. Right when they need us the most. No one's there. Robert Wuthnow, Princeton professor, he penned this so profoundly. I want to share this with you. This idea of abandonment, he writes, We provide daycare centers. Schools, welfare programs, family counseling, colleges, job training programs, even detention centers as a kind of institutional surround sound for our young people until they reach 21. And then we provide nothing. Schooling stops for the vast majority. Parents provide some financial assistance and maybe even babysitting, but largely keep their distance. And even the best congregation-based youth groups or campus ministries no longer apply. Yet nearly all the major decisions that a person has to make about marriage, child-rearing, and work happen after these support systems have ceased to function. This is not a good way to run a society. No wonder young adults experience stress and confusion, worry that they will not be capable of behaving like adults, and they delay settling down, often making bad decisions about jobs and money. This isn't a criticism about young adults, but they do the best they can in the absence of much of the assistance that they need. Where will we be as a congregation? Will you stand up as Paul who says, no, listen, I believe in you and I will take the time to write to you. Do you realize what he was doing here? He believed in this young man and he didn't just say it at a distance. He took painstaking effort to pen what is now scripture and took his time, money, editor, and invested in this young man. Will we do the same now? We have to acknowledge they're in a new path, this elongated journey of young adulthood. We have to begin using new approaches to reach them. We have to start using metaphors that make sense that will draw them closer and not push them further away. And now is the time to do it. Now is our moment. 
But I do want to also speak to my young adults who are here. Our church values you. Oh, man, we value you here in this congregation. Our denomination also has a precedent of supporting young people. Some people might look at those low scores that, you know, unfortunately, when we rated ourselves against other denominations, we even collectively saw ourselves poorly. But I think it's because we're harsher critics of ourselves. We believe that we can support young people and we can do better. The data pointed to actually an openness to change, an urgency to make movements in the right direction. But now with this strong belief, young adults, it's now you pay attention to this next part in the passage. You see, verse 12 says, don't let anyone look down on you. And you can kind of puff up your chest a little bit. Hey, listen, don't be looking down on me. You better believe in me. You better hook me up with a good leadership position. You better set me up for something. You better mentor me. You better be there to help me when I need that financial assistance. You better. But Paul also tells them this. But set an example for the believers. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, even your morality, your purity. When there is the high cost for value, there is also just as much a high demand for responsibility. I hear the amens coming out. The young adults are listening and uh, the older ones are, yeah, you hear that, buddy? There is a need that young adults, you rise up to the occasion. If you want someone to take you seriously, then start acting seriously. Believe again that you can be a significant contributor to this congregation, to your family, to this society. We need young adults to step up to the plate for far too long. Far too long. Our adult parents have a baby dust. I said it. I said it. You see, young adulthood doesn't exist in the developing world. Do you realize that? This 10-year existence where kids can go on a gap year, they can figure out their life, they can do this, they can do that. These are all wonderful things. This is where we are as a society. I'm not trying to downplay it. But the reality is in the developing world, the 3 billion that live on less than $2 a day, these young people have to find a way to survive. They're helping their parents make money for their young brother and sister. Their parents might be sick and they're trying to do it on their own. Some of you maybe grew up in poverty where you had to contribute to the family bank account. You understand that privilege also carries responsibility. If you're given the opportunity to pursue higher education and travel the world and do missions and go on an international trip and go to this place and this place, that also means you've got to step up. Because to be blessed means you also need to be a blessing. It's time for you to reach out for the kingdom to your friends and peers. It's time that you took the responsibility that this church needs you to rise up into. We need people to help be deacons, teachers in our Sabbath school ministries. It's not just you being a weekend warrior and going to the beach every weekend. We need you here. You are valuable. And we won't make it without you. 
Friends, in conclusion, I leave you with this. Kerry Newhoff, pastor and church leadership consultant, he said that if we're to consider what is church going to be like after 2020, he said a phenomenal thing that I want to kind of share with you and put in the mind as you look as young adults now start to take leadership in our church and you start wagging your finger, I want you to think about this. He says, crisis is the cradle for innovation. And the future belongs to the innovators. As a congregation, we have to support our young adults, but then we also have to back them when they try new things. Innovation is a tough thing because it means challenging norms and understandings. And I'm not saying change the message. No. The gospel will always stay the gospel. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him is saved. That cannot change. Truth cannot change. But the medium, the methods in which it's conveyed will have to change with every generation. If we assume the same ways that we did church is going to be how this next generation needs to do church Friend, it doesn't work for every young adult that way. We need to provide different spaces and opportunities for them to explore and to experiment at the margins. And we need a congregation that's willing to stand beside them in that journey. Because literally, these 10 years make all the difference. Amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.